reading this morning is from John 4, verses 27 through 34. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rahab, a rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of, of him who sent me and to finish his work. May be seated. It's a good day to be gathered together, and as you're making your way over to John chapter 4, over to John chapter 4, let's go ahead and, and open up this morning um, by talking to our God, and let's, if you would, bow with me as we're in His presence. God, we thank You for today, um, and, and days like this one, we're blessed by all of the pastimes that we have been able uh, to gather together and to worship Your holy name, and if um, You're not going to come back, Lord, we ask that You grant us and bless us uh, with many more, um, but we, we long to be with You in eternity. Uh, I want to ask a, a special prayer this morning, Lord, on um, every single one of, of our parents. We thank You so much for all of the time and the effort that they have poured uh, into, into their children. And we're grateful to have such a, a large uh, number of young people in, in this congregation and in our church family. We thank you for the example um, that they are setting and, and by, by bringing them here, even um, if it is tiring and even if they feel like uh, it's, it's draining and um, they're, they're not getting much out of it, the kids aren't getting much out of it. But Lord, I go ahead and pray that when those children are older and they have children of their own, um, they realize just how much they were loved by being brought here. And I pray this congregation can do everything that it can to show that love and, and that nurture, uh, nurturing. Um, may we long and be happy and be excited when we hear um, all of the, the little sounds and noises that come out of our young ones. Um, and, and may that continue and, and may that grow. Um, please be with, with them as so many of our little ones are studying right now in, uh, in children's church. Um, may they come to know you and come to love you in all the ways that we have. Um, be with us in this study. Help us to be more thankful um, as, as you would have us to be and help us to emulate you in that. And we pray all this in Jesus. Amen. Okay, so where we're at this morning in, in our study is something that I'm excited for. I love going to the gospel. I love specifically going to the gospel of John and in, in this story, we're going to see something that Jesus uh, teaches us about thankfulness and maybe more specifically, how He uses the harvest and the concept of the harvest um, to teach us to be 
rejoiceful people and and to be happy people and to be thankful people and to be grateful people, um, which is what the whole idea and the whole concept behind this series is. I hope you have gotten as much out of this study as I have so far, um, and this is going to be one of my favorite lessons, um, except for the one that Matt's going to be doing next week. It's probably my favorite of, of them all, um, and I'll, I'll let him cover all of that. Um, but when we look into the life of Jesus, who who should we look to most to teach us about thankfulness? Like, who should we seek out to show us the way that we live um, as, as He would have us to? And live in a way um, that is thankful first and entitled absolutely last. And as we look at John chapter 4, it's a passage that we're used to, but we're not. And here's what I mean by that. Next slide, I think. Um, yeah, next slide after that, I think. Perfect. So... When we talk about stories, and when we tell stories, um, oftentimes we like to have the full story, don't we? We like to have it from beginning to end. Um, and you might remember maybe a time when uh, you didn't get the full story from somebody, and it really hurts, doesn't it? Maybe it feels like we're being half-truthed or being lied to. We don't like getting half of the story when we're talking to somebody. Maybe you're 12 years old or 6 years old, and you remember being younger, and you don't want even though even though you're having a story a bedtime story told to you and like you're fighting sleep so hard because even though I've heard it five billion times like I've got to find out if the ogre rescues the princess from the castle despite the dragon yes I'm talking about Shrek and you're you're asking yourself like why why is it that, that we fight to stay awake to hear the end or fight to stay awake to finish the story? It's because we don't like stories that are halfway done. We don't like only getting um, to, to this pinnacle or to get to this cliffhanger and everything just cut off. We actually get really upset when stories that we like or TV shows that we like to watch or whatever it is end really abruptly on us because, no, like you got, you got to finish it. you got to tell me what the ending is. you got to tell me what happens next. And I can't help, as I read through John chapter 4, I really... Like, that is for the last forever what the church has so poorly done with the Samaritan woman, um, with, with John chapter 4. Like, we know that passage, and we know that story, and we, we have preached before, and we've heard before, and I've preached before, and I've taught before, and I'm guilty of this, and I've done this before, where, where we tell how incredible it is that Jesus steps outside of his comfort zone and the culture's comfort zone just to speak to this woman, much less to interact with her, much less to offer a living water, much less to offer her salvation. And we talk about the way that they interact with each other and the way that, that he pushes her um, to something that is more godly and the way that he guides her um, to being more than just what she is on the surface. And all of those things are, are good, right? And all those things are wonderful, right? But, but we all always in the story on a cliffhanger. We always talk through all that and explain through all that and what we get down um, around verse 23, 24, 25 or so and, and then we go straight to invitation. Woke you up, didn't I? Um, as, as we talk about this morning, as we talk about the end of this story, let's not miss, let's not miss the happy ending. 
Because we can tell a bedtime story to one of our kids um, about how wonderful it is that the knight was willing to go and fight the dragon in the castle and say how incredible that he is willing to drop everything and go and do that. But how does it end? I mean, does he win? Does he lose and get fired to death? Like, does he rescue her and live happily ever? Like, what happens? And that's what we've done with this story. It is incredible and it is loving um, and, and it's valiant that Jesus would go out of the way and not care about what anything else thinks or says and go out and reach out to that woman and care about this woman and have a conversation about this woman. But what happens? Like, what's the ending? It doesn't just end there. Like, we have this whole ending that teaches us um, about the harvest and about thankfulness. And so that's kind of where we're at in the middle of John chapter 4. If you would, uh, let's, let's read, read, reread it with me. Um, John chapter 4, starting uh, in verse 27. We'll reread uh, what Roger read for us, and then we'll keep going just a little bit further. So then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, just like all the stuff we were talking about. It was outside of the norm, outside of the culture, outside of their comfort zone. Like, why are you talking to this woman? Um, but no one. So they marveled, but no one said, what do you seek? Uh, or, or why are you talking with her? Even though I'm assuming that's what they were thinking. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. So she's so excited, she forgets the whole reason why she came to the well to begin with. She leaves her water jar, she goes away and goes into town and starts talking to people and said to people, verse 29, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And I'm going to and I'm going to add something in there. Um, not adding to scripture, just adding to the thought. Imagine the thought because it applies to us saying, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did and wants me anyway." And she had to go and she had to tell somebody about it. She had to tell everybody. They went out of the town and they were coming to him. People are listening. People are responding. People are like, wow, I want to meet this man if he's half of what you say he is. And so as this happens, verse 31, people are coming to him. People are flocking to him. They're going out of town, out of their regular day to come to Jesus, to come to the teacher, to come to the Messiah, to see if he really is the Christ. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi eat, and I can't help but think sometimes um, we've all we've all got got a grandmother um, that's this way, it, uh, don't we? Um, and we all love her to death. It doesn't matter what what we're doing. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter if we're in the middle of the most important thing that we could possibly be doing. Have you eaten? Have Have you eaten? All three meals today. Well, Grandma, it's 4 o'clock. Exactly, it's supper time. Have you eaten? I need to feed you. And so, while it's a good thing, and while it's a loving thing, um, that they care about Jesus and His physical sustenance, um, they said, Rabbi, eat something. Verse 32, but He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought Him something to eat? Like, they're still thinking physical. They're thinking, okay, He's not hungry. Somebody else fed Him. Maybe one of these people that came and flocked to Him from out of the town brought Him something to eat, knowing that, that He was outside of town. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food, my food, my, my sustenance, my fulfillment, what, what satisfies my hunger is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering the, the fruit of eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So we have this finished story, don't we? As many Samaritans are coming to Him, as many Samaritans are, are being saved, they're listening and hearing His story, hearing the Gospel, talking to Him, all because of this woman, mind you. All because of this Samaritan woman being willing to step out and being willing to evangelize and being willing to say, I know that I'm really not supposed to be talking to you right now um, because of all of the, the stigmas that surround that with our culture, but I have got to tell you about Jesus. All because of her. They flock to Him. And what I love, what I love about, about this, this passage is when we start to talk about Jesus and we start to talk about the, the lessons that He brings them is while they are trying to get Him to focus on the physical, He is instead focusing on the spiritual. Um, next slide. So as we look at this finished story, we realize there is a whole part two, and the purpose of this whole part two is, next slide, what Jesus teaches us. As they are looking at Him, and we're going to look at a few different real specific things and maybe make some sense and explain a few things that might not make that great of sense right now. Um, is they're coming to Him and they're trying to feed Him. They're trying to physically feed Him. And what He is trying to get them to see is do you guys not realize what's going on here? Do you guys not realize what, what I'm doing? Do you not see the people that are coming to me and wanting to hear from me and wanting to hear the good news that I have to bring them? Do you not realize what's more important? Because you had disciples that were right here. They were down here. And Jesus had eyes. Jesus had a mindset. Jesus, Jesus was way, way off up top. He was thinking beyond just His own physical needs of the moment, but realizing the magnitude um, of what it means and what it matters to save souls. And so these twelve, they're a little bit confused because they're thinking to themselves, okay, he, he won't eat. He's talking about having this food that is fulfilling Him. Like, what in the world does He mean? What in the world is He talking about? That His food is to do the will of His Father. Um, it makes you more hungry to to go to work. It doesn't fulfill your hunger. It's supposed to do the opposite. Um, and that's one of a billion things that, that Jesus turns on, his, on its head while He's on this earth. But He shows them that what fulfills Him, what sustains Him, what gives Him everything He needs to make it through the day is to accomplish God's His plan and His work to give the Gospel and to give it freely even to a bunch of Samaritans who the Jews would have hated. And as he's teaching them about what is important, I can't help but see what is important in what Jesus teaches us um, about harvest, about gathering, and about the way that we are to be thankful. And what we need, need to do, and maybe how we need um, to leave this place this morning with a mindset prepared for thankfulness. Because as he is looking at them and he's explaining this harvest, um, he is showing them, you know, we've got uh, four months left. Ideally, I'm going to assume here that, that this isn't figurative. He's saying we've got four months left until the harvest, but what you don't realize is the harvest is right in front of you. Um, the spiritual harvest is all around you. 
We don't see all of these people. Like we don't, we don't take breaks to eat when, when we have harvesting to be harvested. The, the fields are white. Let's treat them like it. The, the fields are ready. Let's treat them like it. Let's not worry about ourselves and fulfilling ourselves, but instead worrying about fulfilling our God's plan and our God's work. And so as we look at, at what he tells them, verse 36 and, and following, he said, you know, the, the saying is true um, that one is sowing, but others are reaping. He said, listen, you're not even having to do any of the sowing because ho- who just went into town to do all the sowing? Not hypothetical, not rhetorical. The Samaritan woman, exactly. He said, she's already done all of the sowing. She's already done all of the planting. And people are flocking to you. All you have to do is be ready to reap. All you have to do is don't let this wheat sit in the field and rot. Like, bring people in. Talk to them about the Gospel. Tell them exactly what God wants for them and what He wants from them and how they can be right with Him. And um, enter into that same labor. And the result of that in verse 36, that they may rejoice sower and reaper together. Telling them that even with this Samaritan woman that you walked up upset that I spoke to, you two are working toward the exact same thing and the exact same goal. She is sowing and you are reaping. And in that, y'all should rejoice together despite the way that culture tells you you're supposed to treat each other and think about each other. Um, Beautiful story. Beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, ending that I, I wish we spent more time on, right? An ending that I wish we gave as much emphasis to. But when we start talking about John 4 and us, and we're talking about the harvest and about thankfulness, and how does all of this tie in, what, and what does this mean for us? It means this. What's Jesus' key to thankfulness, and what does He try to teach these disciples that we should also learn from? Is this. Next slide. Um, Jesus' key to thankfulness is looking at a physical world with spiritual eyes. Okay, A physical world with spiritual eyes. Because you have the, these disciples that have come to Him and they're asking about like real food, like bread and water food, like physical food. And Jesus responds to them not talking about that physically, but talking about what? Spiritual fulfillment. And, and spiritually being fed and satisfied. And all of that coming um, by having encounters like He had with this Samaritan woman. And all of those who came to Him thereafter. He said, that's what's truly going to fulfill you. You can eat until you are full to your lungs. But cut it for you. Like what is going to fulfill your purpose in life, your purpose on this earth, your, your longing to have meaning is to be a reaper, a harvester in God's field. Because that will supply you with a fulfillment that nothing else in this world can. And Jesus, as He is being fulfilled, He is trying to show them how they can be too, but they will never truly fully be fulfilled if they can't see the world around them um, with spiritual eyes instead of physical eyes. If they can't look at the situation and not worry about the physical food, but spiritually see what's right in front of them. Take some of these people that are flocking to Jesus off to the side and ask them, what is your story? And after they tell you, say, you know what? That um, is incredible. And here's some of the ways that I connect with it. But there's a story I want to tell you and it's not mine. Um, it's about my God's. And, and be able to spread and, and share with them what we have found. What they had found. That is the Messiah. But for us this week, how can we 
do a better job. Because the key, the key to thankfulness, I believe, is seeing this world differently. Seeing this world not as everybody else does, but looking at it through um, a, a Jesus lens, a spiritual lens. If we can, if we can get to, to that point, then I believe we will find the true thankfulness that this whole series is about. The, the rejoicing that Jesus talks about in verse 36. So how exactly, I think, next slide, how exactly do we do that? Yeah, how can we look with spiritual eyes this week? Um, you have a ton of opportunities, um, and you can't read that bottom, and I can't either. I love technology. It says opportunities. Um, we have a ton of opportunities. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Um, here in just a few days, on a, on a Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., there are a bunch of young men um, that despite their nervousness, and despite maybe never doing anything like this before, um, they are going to, to um, have our Wednesday night, well, Tuesday night, midweek um, service. And they're going to step up and they're going to step out of their comfort zone. Um, and I hope that you're here to support them. But, but here's what I mean when I say seeing the world with spiritual eyes. Um, my hopes, my hopes and my longings for Tuesday night is not that you leave here impressed with how good of a prayer that they can say. Not that you leave here impressed with how well they can lead a song. Not that you leave here impressed by the way that they read Scripture or the tone of their voice or their eloquency or how confidently they stand behind the pulpit. I hope that our, our longing is not to care about that physical stuff, but to be here hoping and longing that spiritually every single one of them has a pure heart in what they're offering before God. Come here longing and hoping that every single one of them does something to uplift God over themselves. Hoping and longing that every single one of them has a fire lit to continue to serve in that way, to continue to share Scripture and to share prayer, not just in this place, but out in the community. If that is, is what happens, and if every single one of them sputter and stutter and do awful on a physical sense, then it is a success. Okay, If every single one of them walk up and have this pure and this genuine approach and have a longing to continue to do that, not just in this building, but in their lives, then it is a wild success no matter what it looks like on the outside. That scene was spiritualized, not physicalized. Wednesday night, we're going to be um, having a meal where we feed the community, um, and, and I, I hope that there are hundreds of mouths that are able to be fed in the name of Jesus. Um, I hope that, that you are excited and planning to, to reach out and contribute to that in some kind of way. Um, but here it is, church. If we feed hundreds of mouths, but don't have a single conversation with anybody about where they stand with God, um, we have failed miserably horrendously actually we have forgotten the entire purpose we have forgotten the fact that Jesus never once fed someone physically without feeding them spiritually never once and we have forgotten that the reason why we bring people in is not to say well did you hear about our Thanksgiving meal we had 258 people that came and ate I don't care about 258 I care about one that we sit down with and one that we say can you tell me more about you? Can you tell me more about your life? Can you tell me more about where you stand with God? 
Because here it is, church. I, I believe, I have an inkling, that there are some in here this morning that would much rather all of the food be perfect and all of the food go smoothly and all of the food taste great and could care less about having any one of those conversations as long as the presentation and the edibility and the taste are everything that we want them to be. I hope, I pray from now until the time we have it, that if one person gets brought to Jesus, I could care less if it's all burnt. <laughs> I could care less if people leave and say, I have never, never eaten another meal like that again in my life. Because the purpose of the food has never been the food. Physicalize, spiritualize. Seeing, seeing the world the way that Jesus would. The, the, the purpose is not everybody coming together and feeding them and on their way out the door saying, love to see you sometime. Sorry, church, that ain't evangelism. Um, that's cowardice. It is, it is sitting down and saying, hey, would you come to church with me Sunday? Would you sit next to me Sunday? Would you go out to eat with me and my family after church Sunday? Like that is how we get to a place where we see with spiritual eyes and act with spiritual eyes, not, not just physical eyes. It might be Thursday. I'm sure you have a billion different things planned. See, all the opportunities, we've got a week full. Um, we have a, a, a time that we're going to spend with family, a time that we're going to spend um, eating, a time that we're going to spend laughing and maybe watching football or planning out your Black Friday raids of getting all your good deals um, that they marked up like three weeks ago and you're just buying everything at regular price but you're fighting the soccer mom for it. Um, and and we're, you're planning, we're planning all that and all excited and all together. But here it is, church. If, if we're worried um, about you know getting the meal just right for everybody or if we're worried um, uh, about the football game and if it doesn't go just right then I'm going to be in a sour mood with everybody at, at supper or if if we're not all if, if so and so shows up and they bring up such and such again I'm just going to get up and I'm going to leave and show them if, if we're worried about all this physical stuff and don't realize that what Thursday is meant to be is a greater symbol of the blessing things that God has given us. If we don't realize that the purpose of coming together um, is about our family outside of everything else, if we don't realize the fact that we are eating a meal nicer than our great-great-grandparents could have ever afforded, in a house nicer than our great-grandparents could have ever have built with all of the people who we made or that made us. Like if we can't see the purity in that and, and the spiritual focused thankfulness that we're supposed to get out of that, then, then we're not there yet. We're in the same place these 12 disciples were when Jesus was trying to teach them see with spiritual eyes, not physical eyes. The opportunities are all around you, church. The opportunities are all around us to, to, to do just this. But it's a matter of if we're going to let them pass us by for our ritual. And if we're going to let them pass us by for our routine. Or if we're instead going to make us changes that will respond in, in other changes around us. Not looking at the physical, but boy, looking at the spiritual. Seeing with the eyes of Jesus. And when we see with the eyes of Jesus, I want you to notice what he says in verse 34. My food, that's what fulfills him. And what he tells us in verse 36, when, when you're the one um, who reaps and, and the one who gathers fruit for eternal life, the sower and the reaper gathering together, people acting and living and working with a spiritual mindset, when we come together to see the fruit of that, what do we do? We rejoice. 
the, the, that's the root of thankfulness, church. I, I don't know, maybe you struggle or deal with, with bitterness or discontentment or being upset, but the answer is found in this. The answer is found in seeing this world the way Jesus sees it and then acting like it and, and living like it. And let's talk about that rejoicing for just a minute. Um, next slide. When we look at verse 36 and we start, start living with spiritual eyes, the rejoicing is going to come because we're going to start seeing things worth rejoicing. Um, I can't tell you how many people um, have come to me and I don't know if they even, even know it, but dozens. And you might be thinking, he's talking about me. Um, yes, I'm talking about you and like the other 11 people that I'm talking about as well. So um, they, they'll come to me and they'll just be so excited about a simple conversation that they had with somebody at work or a visitor that they talked to and took in um, or somebody that, that was longing and hurting in some kind of way and they offered a type of comfort um, that could only be found in Jesus and it was, it was uplifting to them. Here's what I want you to see, church. Like, we don't just wander through this life hoping that those situations happen upon us. When we start seeing with spiritual eyes, we, those situations, we will create them. Those doors, we will open them. Like it'll start being a routine, not just a coincidence whenever those happen. Um, and it will lead to a life that is full of that same joy that you and me shared in that conversation six months ago or a week ago. And isn't that amazing to realize we don't have to sit and wait and hope for all of that to fall upon us, but instead we can step out and create those, own, those situations and create those situations for our God and for His glory. And we talk about rejoicing. Here is how all of that ties into this passage. You Remember we said that Jesus said, you know, you might look out physically and say that the harvest is four months away. So, like for us in Middle Tennessee, it'd be like looking out in May and thinking, boy, we got a long way to go. <laughs> we got a long way to go before we get to the harvest, don't we? Um, there's a lot of work to be done. And Jesus tells them, but that's not it. We're not looking with physical eyes anymore. We're looking with spiritual eyes. And in God's field, in God's garden, it's always harvest. There's always crops to be taken in. There's always souls to be brought into Him. And I want you to think about this. That is where the root of the rejoicing is supposed to come from. Because the person that is looking with physical eyes and is longing for those four months, is longing to see fields that are full, imagine if that person in May, imagine if that farmer in May woke up May 2nd, <laughs> after longing for it on May 1st, and everything was ready to bring in and he couldn't explain why. How much joy would he have? Very similar um, to some of you, because I've seen on social media seem to be premature Christmas decorators. I don't judge you. I don't, I don't think less of you. You can decorate however you wish, and I have no, I have no bearing. Um, some of you are, are very against premature Christmas decorating, and I think that's why we have two separate aisles, one for one of you and one, one for the other, um, so that, that you don't cross paths and, and have a fight under, under the Lord's roof. Um, but nevertheless, I, I think this. For all of those that do fall in the camp of, of premature Christmas decorating, for all of you that have had your house decorated since October uh, 31st, or 
or November 1st at midnight or whenever it might be for you. Um, it's interesting how it seems those people would just give anything to go to sleep and wake up and it be what? Christmas. Because that's what they're preparing for and that's what they're, they would give anything because it's one of their favorite moments. It's a moment that brings them joy. It's a moment that brings them excitement. But ask this question, just like, just like what we see here in the text. Four months away, they would give anything to just wake up and it be the harvest. How would they feel? How would you feel if you were one of those people that would just give anything to wake up and tomorrow be Christmas? Imagine that kind of joy. And imagine being able from a spiritual perspective and standpoint to wake up and experience that every single day. And maybe it is not grain to be harvested. Maybe it is spiritual souls that are just presents to be unwrapped under the tree. But imagine that if we looked with spiritual eyes, every day's the harvest. Every day's Christmas. Because there is a world full of people that are open and in need and willing to take a, take a hold of what we have in Jesus. Are you willing to see with spiritual eyes this morning? Are we willing to take a hold of what Jesus has to offer? Are we willing to be like that Samaritan woman and come before her and say, it blows me away, Jesus, that you know everything I ever did and yet want me anyway? Do you want to be right with Him? Do you want to spend forever with Him? I know I sure do. If you have any questions about if you're going to spend forever with Him or not, you don't have to ask me. All we have to do is look to Scripture. And I can show you exactly what's in Scripture. I don't have an answer in this world, but I know that God does. And that's what, we, that's what we're all about here. So if you have a need, if you have a prayer need, a salvation need, whatever it is, um, just come and talk as we stand, as we sing.